I'm so passionate about it because I know that when I was going through computer science, undergrad, graduate work, I didn't see many people that looked like me and the days were hard and the days were long. And I'm still questioned with my credentials, even to this day. And I want it to be a place where it doesn't matter what you look like. If you have something valuable to contribute to the tech space, that you're able to do that. It does not matter your skin color. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your sexual orientation. It doesn't matter what class you come from, that there is true equity. And the only reason I have true equity is if the culture itself shifts and it changes and it actually embraces diversity. Don't be scared of it. Embrace it. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of The Artist of Data Science. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram at The Artist of Data Science and on Twitter at Artist of Data. I'll be sharing awesome tips and wisdom on data science as well as clips from the show. Join the free open mastermind Slack channel by going to bit.ly.com forward slash Artist of Data Science, where I'll keep you updated on bi-weekly open office hours that I'll be hosting for the community. I'm your host, Harpreet Sahota. Let's ride this beat out into another awesome episode. Our guest today is a skilled explainer who has a knack for making difficult concepts easier to understand regardless of a person's educational background. She's a computer scientist who remains curious about how data flows through digital environments and its impact on the racial, gendered, and socioeconomic impact of technology. She's passionate about educating anyone on all things data, especially those who like learning as well as promoting diversity within computing and data science. She has nearly 15 years experience in higher education, including 10 years teaching databases and data-related courses having secured over 1.2 million from federal and industry-funded sources. She's also served as a principal or co-principal investigator in data science education, cybersecurity education, and diversifying computing initiatives. As a scholar and educator, she has been a leader and contributor to activities that support data literacy and understanding, sharing best practices for data, and broadening participation in tech, particularly in computer science and data science. Her research areas include information retrieval and knowledge management for effective assessment and summarization of data in order to create valuable knowledge through labeled, unlabeled, and fixed-length data analysis, with specializations in topics ranging from data mining and social media for applications within information assurance and aviation. She's been involved in a number of projects, workshops, and organizations that support data literacy and understanding, sharing best data practices and broadening participation in data science, including the design of data science pedagogy for marginalized communities and the assessment of socio-technical impact of Black Twitter. She's earned a Bachelor of Computer Science from University of Rochester, a Master of Computer Science from Rennes-Lassar Polytechnic Institute, and has gone on to earn a PhD in Computer Science. She served as Assistant Professor of Computer and Information Technology at Purdue University, Chair of Computer and Information Sciences at Spelman College, and is currently a Faculty Associate at the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University. She's also the CEO of Data edX, 
an ed tech consultancy firm dedicated to cultivating data competency, providing workforce development training within the data space. Since 2009, she's been actively engaged in mentoring the next generation of STEM professionals, particularly those from underrepresented groups. This engagement has included, but definitely not limited to, serving on the program committees for ACM Richard Tapia Diversity in Computing Conference, Grace Hopper Celebration of Women in Computing, and National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine Roundtable on Data Science Post-Secondary Education. So please, help me in welcoming our very special guest today, a woman who is a beacon of light for the growing number of Black and Brown women pursuing higher education and PhDs in computer science and data science, a scholar, an educator, and a strategist, Dr. Brandeis Marshall. Dr. Marshall, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here today. I really appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much, Harp. That introduction was long, and I appreciate you talking through all of that. <laughs> it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I think it's important that you know our listeners get an understanding of you know the, the impact that you've had on so many people throughout the course of your career. I was wondering if you could talk to us about how you first kind of heard of data science, what drew you to the field, and some of the struggles and challenges you faced uh, as you were breaking into the field. Oh, wow. Uh, where do I start? Okay, I'll start <laughs> easily with um, entering graduate school. And when I entered graduate school, I actually was very interested in UX. When I got there, the person who was a UX professor the well-known individual was actually retiring. And I was like, well, I need to find something else to do. And then happenstance, I fell into um, looking at some data. It was part of a course. And I was like, this is interesting. This is really interesting. I like the structure, the organization. I, and then I start thinking, well, everything needs this structure and organization. So I'm actually been a data head since 2000. <laughs> I've been thinking data is cool from way back then. Took a data science, um, data bases course that dovetailed into information retrieval. And that's wind up what I concentrated my PhD dissertation on. And so for me, data has been part of my entire career. And in fact, applying data and how data is applied in different spaces has been something I've been doing since I can remember as part of my, my graduate work. So what I see as far as getting into the field, it's a matter of where do you know the origins of the data? Are you interested in that part? And of course, moving forward and trying to figure out what the data set is, figuring out how do you, you know, clean up the data? How do you um, figure out how to analyze the data? Um, so all those parts are interesting to me. And, and that's kind of how I got into it. It was happenstance by luck, um, by interest, by passion. Uh, but I already was a computer scientist. So I always say I'm computer science first, data scientist second. Yeah, definitely. Both very closely related fields. And I mean, that's interesting because you kind of developed that passion just through working with the data. So it wasn't like you were just born a data head. You really cultivated that passion while while working with data and, and realizing that, okay, I'm, I'm kind of good at this. This is interesting. And then just develop the skill along the way, right? Right. There's always a way in order to uh, do your best to verify the quality of the data. So for me, I'm always concentrating on you know, where's the data coming from? And is where the data is coming from vetted? Is it validated? 
so I'm really in the beginning part of the pipeline when it comes to data science. And I consider data science to be ubiquitous. It is part of every industry. Um, everyone is concerned with their personal data. They're also concerned with how their data is being used inside of an organization. So for me, I'm trying to do my best to be, I guess, an, an, a, a person to be, I guess, that beacon to talk about data in sizable, understandable nuggets because it's not just a science thing. It is our everyday life now. We're creating data, using data, and we're consuming it at such fast rates that we need to be a little bit better at understanding it and harnessing it. So where do you see the field headed in the next two to five years, kind of taking into consideration um, everything you've you've just uh, said? Yeah, so next two to five years is going to be one where I actually tweeted about this um, early in, in, in the, the top of 2020 is to say we're, we're going to be looking a lot at the gender race class disparities that happened inside of data, how data is used. Um, we're going to be concerned about who is participating, who has access, how inclusion strategies are working or not working, as well as who's represented in the data. Um, we're seeing it over and over again where marginalized communities are disproportionately not included or oversaturated inside of certain data sets. And how do we um, shift the conversation so that all people are included in the data conversation? So the next two to five years is going to now be bringing aboard the understanding of the importance and the power of data and how that impacts communities differently. And of course, developing policies, enforcing those policies, whatever regulations at the local, federal, national level, um, in order to make sure that data becomes part of our known fabric inside of every facet from curriculum at K through 12 through those that are currently in the workforce, in all workforces, not just STEM. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I, I definitely love my STEM people, but it's in all workforces across the board. Everyone needs to know more about data. Are you an aspiring data scientist struggling to break into the field? Well, then check out dsdj.co forward slash artists to reserve your spot for a free informational webinar on how you can break into the field. That's going to be filled with amazing tips that are specifically designed to help you land your first job. Check it out. dsdj.co forward slash artists. So what could data scientists start doing today? So that, you know, two to five years in the future, they've kind of got this, um, what it sounds like kind of a diversity of, of data, um, they're, they're cognizant of it, they're, they've got that um, philosophy, for lack of a better word, instilled within them. What are some things that they could start doing today? It's really connecting with people that you haven't connected with before. I think opening up conversation about how the data that you're currently using now impacts communities that you're not necessarily a part of. Get yourself out of a comfort zone. I think that is going to be key to anyone to do right now. And how you do this is you follow someone you've never followed before. 
I started following people that were in anthropology um, and other social scientists, economists, um, people that um, were in anthropology, right? Completely outside of my domain expertise, but I could now see a perspective of how they see data from their lens. That's very important. If you don't do that, if you stay within your own lane, in your own expertise, only talking to people who have your particular background, you're losing the whole story. And with data, there's always a story. There's always going to be gaps. And you need to, as a data scientist, as anyone that's even dealing with data, if you don't call yourself a data scientist, but you still deal with data, you need to get outside of your comfort zone. The second thing that I would add to that is documentation. Documentation is absolutely necessary. You have to document what your process Scientific and non-scientific, you have to document these things because there is so much misinformation and disinformation that's happening. And these systems, these tech systems that are being built and being monitorized and massaged don't have proper documentation. Um, and that's where there is in the future going to be some, some challenges <laughs> um, for organizations and for companies. So I think it's just very important that if you are working with any data that you're documenting your process, you really push your team and your teammates to document their processes because you're going to forget. And once you forget, it's gone. And that data is now going to be used in a way that maybe you did not intend. And it's important that you document your process and have a conversation about that process. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. So you, you might have answered this already with, with, with what you just said, but to kind of just drive the point home here, then what do you think is going to separate the great data scientists from the merely good ones in, in this, you know, in the next two to five years in this vision of the future that you have? What's really going to set those apart is going to be those that have open minds with very good documentation, those that are consistently learning um, from sources of quality. And that means you're going to hit some bumpy roads. You're going to hit some, you know, you might get some disinformation. Um, you might get some misinformation, um, but then you're going to learn from it. And then you're going to now be able to discern what is quality and what isn't quality. You're then going to be able to talk about, oh, I know this individual that's working in this space. That's not my expertise. So don't ask me, ask this expert. And I think that's going to be extremely important for data scientists to not try to take on all the responsibility for the whole process. This is one where it is a, it's, it's teamwork. So you have to be able in order to share out um, where other people are better talent and a better fit to answer those questions. That's really interesting. Yeah. Thank you for that. I was wondering if we could talk to us a bit about data edX, uh, you know, where, where you're guiding folks through the data space and elevating their data competency, breaking yeah. it up into, you know, bite-sized portions. Can you define data competency for us? And what's your process like for breaking data into these uh, bite-sized portions? So I consider uh, data to be almost like an onion. So <laughs> the, 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 the outside is the knowledge. That is what you, um, you receive as part of you know, a book, what you receive part of media outlets. It's, it's all things that are packaged for you and presented to you. But if you pull back that knowledge layer, you have information. And 
that knowledge layer contains the social context, a particular lens or view. So after you take out the social context, if you can, because sometimes you can't, you get information. But information also has been packaged for you too, because information assumes that you have a certain amount of reputation and credibility. So if you peel back information, you get data and that's the raw form. So when I talk with individuals and with organizations about data at X, I'm trying to usher in with them a data competency that means what is the raw first order unit? That could be text, it could be video, it could be images, but what is the raw component and how is that raw component being used? And what is adding on to that raw component, like credibility and reputation, to give you information? And then what is that unit of information that has social context that gives you the knowledge, right? So trying to usher people through what are some of these components of data that include collecting it, storing it, analyze it, visualizing it, and then what is the narrative that you're talking about that data? So data competency has essentially five different levels. Um, so getting people to see data in that spectrum is something that's kind of not shared a whole lot. It's what's talked about typically is analyzing data. But to me, there's things upstream and downstream that we have to have more understanding about. And that's what I help issue people in. For me, data at X, it's, it's like, it's a gym for the brain, <laughs> right? Um, as you go to work out physically, um, for me, data at X is a space where you can really work out your brain, work out what do you want to, what do you want to work on, what do you want to improve um, in your um, data understanding. And it could be in one of those lanes that I spoke about, or it could be about some hybrid of them that you might want to um, upskill as part of your career, right? So it's really designed for those individuals that are currently working, right? Um, for those that already have some experience with working with data in some way, and they now have a new responsibility and they want to be better at it, but they don't have time for a course, to go back to school and go to school for six months or go to school for um, two years to get another degree, but they need us a little bit of help in order to just open up to understand a little bit more so that they can then move forward better in their current career or for something else they're looking for. That's it's a really, really beautiful initiative. Like that is amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I really like that holistic, the holistic view and the holistic uh, teaching style that, that you have for that. Um, because I think a yes. lot of data scientists, machine learning engineers, they're so focused on their algorithms and op, you know optimizing hyperparameters, optimizing their code, and all the yeah. technical stuff that they fail to look at the upstream and downstream implications of what it is that they're working on. Um, right. so I think that's really really important. Wow, that's really awesome. I mean, it's really hopefully to to fill a gap. Right, because we have um, the traditional learning paths, and then we have non-traditional learning paths. And I see data at X as being somewhere in the middle, where you don't have to do an intensive program for a fixed amount of time. Maybe what you need is an engagement that is several months long, 
<laughs> um, or maybe more, depending on how you want to engage. But you have an idea of what you're looking for, or maybe you don't. But you want to be in a in a place in a network that's all striving to be better in understanding data, and that's something that I haven't seen in the space, and, and that's what I'm working to build <laughs> is is that um, that aspect for folks to go. I love it, man. That is really awesome. Um, so I'm, I'm yeah. really interested in in hearing more about your research uh, into the impact of live tweeting on social movements. Uh, <laughs> yes. So I've got, I've got a, Wondering what, what the driving force was behind that research and how did you get started? Okay, so one of my guilty pleasures is social media. So funny, funny enough, this came about because I'm on social media and I'm, I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on a little bit on Instagram. And I realized that there's a, a whole subculture of people of color, particularly black Twitter. And I, I, wind up seeing some entertainment beef, quote unquote beef, that was happening between two artists. And I was like, is this real? <laughs> and so it, it got my mind going um, about what happens if we actually just look at Black Twitter. And, and for my day job, of course, I teach in higher education. Um, and the students all look like me. So I said, you know what, let me see if they're interested in this thing. Because they're on Twitter, they're on social media. I mean, of course, they're, on, they're mainly on TikTok but, and, and other um, mediums. But I decided that I wanted to better understand Black Twitter. And uh, there's several people in the space that are already been doing work for years. You know, Andre Brock. I mean, there's so many people been doing work in this space. So I'm reading their, their content and I figured out that I really want to have a better idea of understanding the Oscars because it was at the time where the um, Oscar So White became very popular. Uh, there was no people of color who were nominated for Oscars um, during the 2016 cycle. And so I decided to have my research students and I to now grab the tweets <laughs> during the live broadcast. Um, all three of us were grabbing tweets. Uh, we had done all of our pre-processing work in order to make sure we got the right hashtags and the keywords. Um, and we started doing it and we did it again in 2017. Um, 2017, Hidden Figures had come out. So now there were black people who were nominated. And of course, Black Panther was about ready um, to be released or had just been released. So there was all of that commentation. So then I did it in 2018 with the students again. So just kept doing it. I actually just did it in 2020. So I've been doing it now for five years. And really that impetus came from trying to better understand the subculture because this is the first time in history, really, where Black people can now record their own history in real time and see the impact of it. Previously, it's been other individuals. Really interesting. Um, how did you go about collecting that data? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what type of data were you specifically collecting? Uh, yeah. were, there, were there any challenges uh, engineering the data? I'm using air quotes here for yeah. listening. <laughs> engineering the data. Um, so we, um, we did a manual process for this. 
So for about a month prior to the Oscars, we were scrubbing, not literally as a tech term scrubbing, but we were manually going through what were the um, hashtags, keywords um, that were being used surrounding the Oscars when it came to any people of color. And we were cataloging those. We put them really into a spreadsheet because it was easier for all three of us to see a spreadsheet. Um, And then we would review them on um, a regular basis in order to see which one were appearing more often than others. So um, we looked at everyone who was nominated, anyone who was presenting, and anyone who had any type of comments that had risen to being inside of any type of op-ed. So we had those kind of three main criteria. Um, It was very easy in 2016 because there was a lot of people that were in that space. Um, uh, So that's what we we did in order to prepare, in order to collect the data. And then uh, the students put together a very short Python um, piece of code in order to use Tweepy in order to grab the tweets. Um, And then, of course, just store it into a wonderful little text file, right? Nothing fancy, no JSON, just I was dealing with, they were sophomores, sophomores in college. So they were pretty, pretty, pretty new um, to the computing space. So we, we did that. And of course, at the end of each of the live tweeting, um, we talked to each other about what we saw. Inside of 2016, what wind up happening was um, an individual, everyone knows who it is if you did 2016, she came on stage, said a few words, and then left. Um, and so each, uh, the, the students actually didn't know who she was, didn't, host, didn't know who Stacy was. So um, they had to, they had to, they misspelled her name. And we actually caught the misspelling of her name (laughs) inside of the results. So we collected the data in a way that was very manual because it was pretty fast um, because, you know, they were um, new in the space. I was just trying to get something going for them. And then at the back end, it was all about processing. So it was learning all the tools. It was learning about Plotly. It was learning about Matplotlib inside of Python. It was, you know, showing them how Excel can't open up their file that's 400 megs and why we need to separate the file. So it was definitely a learning tool um, that helped them better understand that, you know, working with data can be very challenging, but also can be very rewarding because at the end, the students were able to now, you know, map the tweets based upon regions in the United States. Another student winds up looking at the different languages that came out Um, in the tweets, right? You saw, you know, Portuguese, French, English in different parts of the world, and she wind up being able to do word clouds on that. So there was just many different ways in which this, um, this series of data sets were used, and the students were able to see certain trends, and that's what we actually did a research paper on, were the trends that we saw, which was all the, um, keywords and hashtags that we were looking at that was concerning Black Twitter that we constituted as Black Twitter only received about 5% of the tweets. If anyone's in the Black Twitter space, knowing that Black Twitter has a very large presence. So we already knew that there was some filtering of our ability to stream in all the data, 
right? Um, so it's just another conversation piece, another conversation for us to have as instructor to, you know, mentees, but also for them to move forward in their job interviews and their graduate school applications. And so it opened up a space for them to talk about tech that was related to who they were. And I think that is the amazing part about the Black Twitter Project. Um, don't have students right now working on it, but it's definitely one of those passions that I think opens up doors to understanding data. And, and it could be used by anybody. That's a really cool project and a really awesome way to get students engaged at you know such an early stage in their academic career um, because yeah. you've picked a project that's really going to resonate with them and their interests and they're going to be motivated to pursue that further. Maybe students who have previously not even considered careers or education paths in data now because of this opportunity have, have gone on to do so. Do you have any um, uh, interesting insights from from your project there that you want to share with us? Oh, there's so many interesting ones. So we looked at not only Oscars so white each year, but we also looked at the Me Too movement and um, we also looked at Oscars less white. Um, so what was uh, very interesting in all the data that we're able to go through, this is 2016 to 2018, um, is not only did we see um, the, our black Twitter hashtags being used about 5% of the time. We actually saw a spike in the Me Too movement, um, more specifically hashtag Me Too, as well as, um, of course, the woman, uh, Tarana Burke, right? Because Tarana Burke wasn't really a well-known name at the time. Um, it really was Alyssa Milano, um, unfortunately. So we actually saw a spike in, in the mentioning of Me Too as well as Burke. Um, and then um, in 2018, the full press of the Black of, of Black Panther was something that we couldn't get away from. It was, it was very interesting to see um, each of the characters as well as each of the actors who played those characters receive a lot of mentions, tweets, um, and comments about um, their work. So those are just some of the little nuggets. Um, the 2019 and 2020 haven't processed yet, but hopefully that'll be done in the next um, few months here and hopefully that work will be out soon. Is there, a, is there any impact that you want your work in this space to have on uh, society as, as a whole? As a whole, wow. I think it's the importance of culturally responsible tech work. Um, I think the reason why this project is something that I talk about so passionately and people ask me about is because I am a Black person that's talking about Black Twitter. And there's not many people on the tech side that are doing that. Um, and so I want the, the ability for other people to know that they can talk about their particular ethnicities, content in a research space, in the tech space, and still be successful. Because that is one of the, the misnomers, is that if you talk about, you know, Black things and you're Black, you're not going to think you, people are not going to think you're credible. And I want to move that dial um, a bit and say, no, you can. You can talk about I can talk about black things, be black, and still be um, known as a scholar. 
I love it. So kind of bleeding into the next question there, yeah. talking about uh, inclusiveness uh, and marginaliz- marginalization uh, in the data workspace. Um, I think it's it's really important that our audience kind of hear you out on this because uh, I think it's super powerful and super important. In the interviews I've heard with you, you always speak so boldly and eloquently about it. So I just kind of wanted to uh, to just let you kind of have, have at it, say, say what it is that you... Uh, that you'd like to say about about that? Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, I think this might be a whole separate talk, actually, because I feel as a a woman, a black person who who has obtained um, some level of success as perceived by the mainstream, that um, you can engage with anybody, no matter what, if you're open. So to be inclusive doesn't mean that you are pushing away anybody. It actually means that you are seeking out those who have open mind in order to hear you and not to validate you, but to hear you as well as to make sure that you do not oppress or suppress anybody who has been marginalized. The recognition of people of color inside of all tech space is abysmal. Um, I talk quite frequently about the textbooks (laughs) that I've had in computer science. How many have had a woman as an author? I think I can only think of one. That was the database book that I had. Jennifer Wyndham. That's the only one I can think of right now. That needs to change. And the only way that's going to change is if the actual culture changes. Tech culture needs to shift. It's not a, we're just going to hire a diversity, equity, inclusion officer to then go ahead and hire people of color to put them into a toxic environment. We can't do that anymore. That does not work. And it's not going to, it's not going to work. And I'm not going to champion anything that does that. And I'm going to tell anyone who's marginalized in the tech space, don't fall for the okie doke. What you want is to actually feel safe. It's about safety. Do you feel safe in your workplace? Can you share with people? And can people share with you and not push you down? So as I said, I think this is a whole separate conversation, (laughs) but um, really it's I'm so passionate about it because I know that when I was going through computer science, undergrad, graduate work, I didn't see many people that looked like me and the days were hard and the days were long. And I'm still questioned with my credentials, even to this day. And I want it to be a place where it doesn't matter what you look like. If you have something valuable to contribute to the tech space that you're able to do that. It does not matter your skin color. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your sexual orientation. It doesn't matter what class you come from, that there is true equity. And the only reason I have true equity is if the culture itself shifts and it changes and it actually embraces diversity. Don't be scared of it. Embrace it. I really like that because, I mean, me being an Indian male, everywhere I go, I'm a minority except when I'm in the data space because everybody <laughs> else that I'm working with looks just like me, right? Right. Um, so how could I, you know, embrace this diversity? You mentioned, you mentioned um, seeking out others' mm-hmm. uh, points of views, not for validation, yeah. but just, just mm-hmm. to, to hear each other out. Um, yeah. What are some actionable tips that you know I could I could implement like in, in my daily life? To I mean, with that? well, I have a list of books 
there's a list of books yeah. <laughs> I can yeah. give you. Um, yeah. There's there is uh, Ruha Benjamin's Race After Technology. There's pretty much anything that Andre Brock has written <laughs> as a way in order to start. There is um, Data Feminism is a new book. I haven't read it yet, but it's on my reading list. Um, there is. Um, uh, there's Algorithms of Oppression by Sophia Noble. Um, that one's really good. It talks about algorithms being filtered, and particularly um, uh, by the organization Google, and how, how what that looks like, and how it it suppresses oppresses um, Black women, girls, and Asian women and girls. Um, very very interesting. Very good book. Definitely read that. Very well sourced. So well sourced, it got a lot of backlash. <laughs> um, uh, so there's just a list of books to read, um, but after, but it's it's an ongoing process. There is um, another podcast I would suggest um, looking into, which is hashtag Cause a Scene by um, Kim Creighton. Um, she talks directly about anti-blackness and white supremacy and what that looks like and how all of us, even black people, are leaning toward being anti-black and being white supremacists. There is the work of um, Jesse Daniels. There, there is so, so, this, it's so rich with people. Once you get one person and start following them on social media, you start seeing other people, right? There's, um, um, a friend of mine, Mutale, she is, is working in the space of race and tech. And she's coming from an, a, an area of media. Of what does that lens look like, media and entertainment? Um, so it's a matter of reading the works of individuals. Um, you can start with the books. You can move forward and look at some of the op-eds. Um, but then it's also engaging with people. It's engaging with people you've never engaged with before. Having conversations about tech with people who don't look like you, who maybe are not in your day-to-day -day space um, and seeing what they think about it. I think it's, it's very important. Those are very actionable items. I'm not sure how much time you have to read all those books, but <laughs> you can definitely um, read some of those op-eds and, and hopefully they're all on Audible. So you'll be yeah. able to, to listen I, to them. <laughs> I, go through, I go through Audible books at 3x speed. So I... I I'll blast through those and I'll definitely include, include those books in the show notes so that yeah. uh, our listeners can, can get into that too. And I think yeah. one thing that's really resonating with me from that is that, I mean, because I know a lot of aspiring data scientists, up and coming data scientists, they're just, their heads are just in the books. They're just studying, yeah. you know, technical materials with yeah. no consideration for the world outside. And I think it's really important that they start being more holistic in mm -hmm. their approach to data science because it's not just about machine learning algorithms. It's not just right. about mastering right. Python or NumPy right. or Pandas, right? Right. It's exactly. so much more than that. And especially if you want to be a data professional uh, today, right? It, the, the implications are widespread throughout technology. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the whole, uh, to me, I think one of the misconceptions is that, you know, in tech, we, there's this mantra of, you know, um, move fast, you know, optimize more. And I, and I don't understand as someone that's been in the space for a number of years, why are we doing that? Why are we trying to move so fast? What are we moving fast to? Why are we not considering people as part of the tech process in, in a careful way? Right. So um, I think that 
is what I'm trying to bring more to light is that this holistic view that I have is really because I've seen how I've been discriminated against because of tech. I've seen how students that I've taught have been discriminated against because of tech, right? Um, and they're individuals who have a lot to offer in the space. And those particular gifts aren't being absorbed within tech because it didn't fit into an algorithmic box. So we need to be in the matrix and <laughs> I just saw the matrix this weekend. So we gotta, get, we gotta break through the matrix. <laughs> Not for the first time, I hope, right? No, it was like the <laughs> like the fiftieth time. I don't even know how many times. I, but I actually yeah. sat and watched the whole the whole awesome. uh, trilogy like back to back. So yes, I, <laughs> necessary awesome. to 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 veg on some movies every now and again. Yeah, and definitely the, like the work you're doing in that space is super important, and um, I'm glad you're you're putting light on it. And uh, it's, it's really important. I think, you know, our listeners should really take that into consideration as well. Um, yeah. So. What's up artists. Be sure to join the free open mastermind Slack community by going to bit.ly.com forward slash artists of data science. It's a great environment for us to talk all things data science, to learn together, to grow together. And I'll also keep you updated on the open bi-weekly office hours that I'll be hosting for our community. Check out the show on Instagram at the artists of data science. Follow us on Twitter at artists of data. Look forward to seeing you all there. shifting gears a little bit here i heard you talk about grit very briefly uh in another interview that resonated with me because uh, I'm a, i love that book by angela duckworth mm-hmm. uh, um, so i was wondering if, if you could share any experience in your past where you had to embody grittiness and uh maybe some words for encouragement uh for for any of our listeners out there who might be facing something similar oh grit um when haven't I had to initiate grit? <laughs> um, um, I think, I, I guess I'll go back to, to college. And uh, there's, been, there's been places all throughout um, my life, but I'll go back to college. And um, there's a class that you take in computer science, data structures. Hopefully your listeners will not start twitching when I say that, because <laughs> that's always the make or break class, right? Right, Hark, it's the make or break class. So, um, and that particular class, um, I was, I was earning, I didn't know, but with, <laughs> the way the institution did it was that they had you go into the professor's office and the professor would tell you what your midterm grade was. So, so really let's set the scene. You are 19 years old and you're told in order to find out your midterm grade, you have to go to your professor's office in order to hear it. And it's a, like a one-on-one conversation. It's not like a group thing. It's a one-on-one. So very intimidating. And um, I went and then I, I, I received my grade. It was a B minus. And then I was essentially told, oh, you might not make it. Depending on where you're at, right, you might not make it. Through the class, like, this might not be a good selection. That's what I heard and that's what I remember. So I walked out and I was just like, I'm getting a B minus. Sweet. <laughs> I'm going to get a degree and I'm going to get my PhD. Like that was, I, I, I'm good. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> um, so that was just one example of you, you see a situation with a different lens. And I think that's what gritty people do. Not that you have blinders on, but that you look at 
some of the positive. You understand the negative though. You don't discount it. So I understood, okay, I'm gonna need to work. It might get a little tough, but I can do this. Hopefully that helps somebody. <laughs> Hopefully that helps somebody. Yeah. Um, but I think my 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 best advice um, to anyone that's currently in a situation where they're faced with a bunch of adversity and they're feeling like they don't have enough grit, I actually think you need to go and watch a movie because your concentration on it might actually be blocking the talent that exists within you. So I mainly tell individuals, go have some ice cream, go watch Bad Boys 2. Well, no, that's not that one. Bad Boys 1. The original was the best. Bad Boys 1. <laughs> go get some ice cream, go get some hot chocolate if it's cold outside. And after it's over with, get back to it. Because you have to get your mind out from thinking negatively badly. The only way to do that is to do something completely fun, completely um, enjoyable, so that when you get back to it, you can see it in a whole new light, and then you can go for it. Awesome advice. I love it. Um, one last question before we jump into our lightning round here. Uh, what's the one thing you want people to learn from your story? I want people to learn from my story that I'm not done yet. If you feel like you're done, that's not the data science. That's not the data science in you. The story it. is never complete. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So jumping into our, our lightning round here, uh, what's your data science superpower? Um, this was actually a very hard question. I don't know how, I don't know what, what is, what is a superpower? Um, so I think my superpower is the ability to explain things easily to folks that they can understand them. I think that's my superpower. So what's an academic topic outside of data science that you think every data scientist should spend some time researching? Sociology. You have to understand social context. If you don't understand social context, you don't understand data and you're tanked. Had more than one person say that. So, yeah. <laughs> so what's the number one book, uh, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you'd recommend our audience to read and your most impactful uh, takeaway from it? Um, so I would say, um, oh, see, it's hard because I actually have two. Can I say two? Is that, is that okay? Yeah. yeah okay. Definitely. Okay. So the first one is Algorithms of Oppression um, by Safaya Nova. I mentioned that earlier. Um, that one, because it talks about algorithms with social context and how it's been um, manipulated. The second one is um, Who Gets What and Why? That's by a uh, Nobel laureate, um, Al, Alvin Roth, I believe is his name. And he re uh, received the Nobel uh, Prize in economics with two of his comrades um, based on market analysis. And uh, I think everyone knows about the kidney transplant struggles, right? There's not enough kidneys. A lot of people need kidneys. And so these three individuals um, actually founded the idea of the kidney transplant chain. One person has a kidney that another person needs and so forth and so on until the person, the original person who needed the kidney receives a kidney. So it could be two, three, four, ten people in the chain. But he goes through other scenarios in the book of how market, um, market um, design works, um, including, you know, charter school systems and things like that. So it was very impactful to learn how um, um, that that particular problem was solved by economists. <laughs> the supply-demand model was very interesting to me. 
Awesome. Yeah, I'll add them both to the, uh, to the show notes. So yeah. if we can get somehow get a magical telephone that allowed you to contact 20 year old Brandeis, what would you say to her? Um, I would say it's going to be okay. Your, 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 your time to shine isn't quite yet. You eventually did shine through with dozens of publications. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your, what's your, what's your favorite publication? Um, my favorite one, um, I think the one I am most proud of, um, happens to be, um, the black Twitter, the black Twitter one be mainly because it was, um, not only socially relevant and, and timely, um, but also because I, I, I did it with the students. So it was nice to, um, engage not only with peers, but it's nice to engage with, with students, um, and, and their, and see their development and, and growth. And which of your publications do you think it's most relevant to our current times? I think there is a more recent publication, um, I did with, um, Frontiers in Education, and it talked about a faculty development program trying to develop faculty in data science. It, it's really part of a project that was, was funded through the NSF um, in order to see data science um, in different curriculum at the, uh, at the college level. Um, and so I think that one is, is probably the one that needs a little bit more review <laughs> um, because <laughs> there's a lot of data science programs <laughs> um, and I'm not quite sure um, how that standardization is going because I don't believe it's going at all. Um, so, so how to kind of, you know, uh, upscale faculty and, and do it in a way that it makes sense for the faculty life. What's the best advice you've ever received? It's so funny. I asked this question to my class the other day. I got some great responses. And this is what I told them, my, the best advice I ever received. This comes from my great grandmother who has since passed. Um, she told my mother. Um, and so my mother told me. And it's, um, don't take any wood nickels. Don't take any wood nickels. Right. Because wood nickels don't exist. <laughs> All right. So you don't want to take any wood nickels. I like that. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a deep South black culture type of, um, piece of advice, but it's a goodie. I like it. Uh, what song is giving you life right now? The song that gives me life is um, Won't He Do It? Um, and it's by Corinne Hawthorne. She was a winner of one of those shows, but that one gives me life. Awesome. And how can people connect with you? Where can they find you? So I am on mainly Twitter at, at CS Doctor, spelled out sister spelled out. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. So feel free to connect to me there. You can also uh, get a hold of me by just going to brandeismarshall.com. You can see what I've been up to uh, and contact me via email, of course. Uh, so just check it out. And then of course, in the next few months, data edX will launch eventually. So you can go to dataedx.com and sign up, subscribe. So you get to get on our email list and we'll let you know when we can get you in that community. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I'm definitely going to be uh, scoping out that website and joining that email list. Uh, Dr. Marshall, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Really appreciate you taking time in your schedule to be on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Good luck to you. Thank you.